Welcome to Mind Love, Episode 5. Today's episode is all about finding mindfulness through music. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. I love music, and thankfully studies show that music has powerful and visible effects on the brain. When we're listening to music, one of the first things that you can see is the release of dopamine, which gives us a nice little happiness boost. But studies have also linked it to boosting our immune systems by being associated with an uptick in immunity-boosting antibodies. But learning to play an instrument can give you the most benefits, especially during the developmental stages of the brain. Studies have shown that musicians have more gray matter in the brain. This can lead to benefits like better auditory processing, learning, and memory. And this just adds to my love for music. In my household, you will hear music playing all the time. Thankfully, we live in a time where music is so accessible. From SoundCloud to Spotify, we have all the music that we could want right at our fingertips. Combined with smart home technology speakers like Alexa or Google Home, we can bathe in the music notes as often as we like. I'm pretty sure my neighbors are tired of hearing me say, Alexa, shuffle Discover Weekly. Shuffle and Discover Weekly from Spotify. Note to self, don't reference Alexa when she's in the room and you're trying to record a podcast. But first, can we note how strange it is that we can hear music at all? It's little acoustic vibrations in the air, these little waves of energy that tickle our eardrum. I was looking up how to explain how sound works and hearing works, and I found a YouTube video that explained it like this. Somehow by tickling our eardrum, it transmits energy down our hearing bone, which gets converted into a fluid impulse inside the cochlea, which then converts to an electrical signal in our auditory nerves that somehow wind up in our brains as a perception of a song. Did you follow that? It's cool, me neither. Today we're talking to Josh Brill. He's a master musician and sound healer devoted to using music as a medium to facilitate inner peace, awareness, and consciousness. Josh has been studying music for the last 25 years, and he's even developed his own musical mindfulness practices. On top of all that, he's an instructor of Nada Yoga, which is the yoga of sound. What better way to begin to raise our frequencies than with the most common form of frequency in sound and music? So let's dive in. In this episode, here are three key things you will learn. How your inner tempo affects your perception of the world around you. How you can use music to alter your states of consciousness. And a specific mindfulness exercise using music that you can do at home. This is an exercise that our guest usually reserves for his paid course or his private clients. So this is really exciting. Welcome, Josh. To get started, can you give us a brief overview about what Nada Yoga is? Nada Yoga roughly translates to the yoga of sound. Nada in Sanskrit is basically sound or sound current. So, And yoga, I'm sure as we know, is this concept of union or, or connecting with. So um, Nada Yoga is basically our connection with sound, and it really can take a lot of different forms. Um, mantra practice, for example, is a form of Nada Yoga. 
and also toning and finding your own internal sounds is a, a practice of, of Nada Yoga. I haven't tried Nada Yoga, but I'm really interested to do so because I love sound baths. And it is interesting what a broad range of effects sound has on us, whether it's calming us during meditation, putting us into a trance-like state, or even kind of making us shrill up from the sounds of nails on a chalkboard. So how do sound frequencies affect our bodies? Um, different frequencies in that spectrum can help engage different parts of our body and specifically consistent frequencies. So, for example, to, um, to create a little bit more calm in the body, you know, longer tones that are a little bit warmer and rounder, maybe in the sort of mid-frequency um, is really helpful for people. If you want to engage a stronger focus, um, higher tones like a crystal bowl can, can really serve that. When we listen to soundscapes, we tend to think, well, of course it's calming. What's not calming about ocean waves and, and birds chirping? But it's actually more than that. Pure tones can have a really powerful impact on our minds and bodies as well. For example, a pure tone of 528 hertz is said to be the miracle tone. It's used by genetic scientists to mend DNA and strengthen cell walls to boost immunity. A pure tone of 639 hertz is said to attract love and raise positive energy. And a tone of 320 hertz may awaken your divinity and some use to help induce enlightenment. You can find a ton of these pure tones on YouTube. And the great thing about that is you can even find different mixes that people have done to make it a little bit more interesting. And some have even added bird sounds. So, of course, we all know bird sounds are soothing. But have you ever thought of why? There's actually a psychological aspect to this. Because when birds are chirping, it tends to mean that everything is all and well. But when birds stop chirping, danger could be looming. So not only does music have a really powerful effect on our bodies physiologically, Josh says that it can also be a teacher. And it can teach us a lot about the inner workings of our minds. I think it's important to understand when I speak about music, I, oftentimes I'm considering music as this capital M music. It's a presence. It's an intelligence. It's something that really... Um, is beyond just sort of the entertainment that we interface with, but is the this unique life force that is music. And um, approaching approaching that as a teacher is just a phenomenal experience because one of the things that music holds, and I think what what a true guru holds, is um, truth and, and objectivity. And while music, of course, has a lot of subjectivity to it. Um, when one takes on a practice of music, you find truths about yourself. Uh, you know, just so like a real practical example, if if you're working on your timing with something, um, most people will find that their timing is not quite aligned. And, and music kind of holds that mirror of truth for us. And then it teaches us, well, how do we find that level of engagement to have our time or our rhythm aligned? So then it becomes this inward journey for us to search with our own internal mechanisms to basically um, find what what we need to do. And what I found, a lot of it has to do with where we place our attention and how we are able to hold our attention. I'm sure playing music as long as you have, you've uncovered a lot of truths about yourself. 
Can you name any? Oh my God. How, how much time do we have? Um, as much as you need. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's taught me a lot about attention. If we, if we consider attention, you know, oftentimes we, we hear the word attention span, for example. And span is an interesting word because span actually is a spatial word. Um, it's spanning a distance. And time and space are intrinsically linked. So, for example, um, when I look at attention span, I'm also thinking about the tempo of attention or how long we're able to hold a moment. And what music has really shown me is we, um, one, how to basically develop the ability to, to expand attention, to expand a more present moment, and also how to um, regulate that in, internally. Um, just for an example, like, like music has really shown me how to have more calm in my body and tempo and our state of being are, are very much linked. Um, a quick example would be somebody who's very anxious. Their, their tempo tends to be very fast. They, you know, and, and you can even see that in the sort of extreme of anxiety that people begin to shake, that they're, they're kind of, they're vibrating at such a kind of tempo that it's creating this internal restriction. And um, somebody who's very calm generally is in a slower space. And music basically has shown me um, how to connect with that aspect, that internal mechanism, and how to regulate it, as well as how to work um, with that aspect with others. A lot of people feel like since they didn't have a natural ability with music when they were little, that they just have no hope of starting it. What do you have to say about that? And what's your story? How did you get into music in the first place? Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I, I began playing guitar when I was eight, and I just had a calling to do it. And uh, yeah, I definitely was not musically inclined. You know, some people are born or, or they develop a gift at a really early age where they have a great ear and a good sense of time and just a good sense of musicality. And um, I, I really... You know, I don't feel I'm being humble here, but I, but I wasn't one of those people. Um, music came quite difficult to me. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do, and there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth, and as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. 
you'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story is About You wherever you listen to podcasts. What kind of mindset did you need to have in order to keep going all of those years when it was coming difficult to you? It was actually what turned out to be this wonderful gift, of course, because um, I feel like I really having that sort of obstacle or challenge, it, it allowed me to really learn what it's like to learn music and how to learn music and, and what's the most efficient ways. And I'm kind of, I've always been really interested in optimization. And um, yeah, so my path with music has basically been like, in my sort of younger years, it was like this puzzle of, of I know this thing is possible um, and I'm not quite getting it. So I just haven't found the solution yet. Yet. I like that. That's the key word. Studies show that music actually does affect the activity in our brain or our inner tempo or vibration, so to speak. So how does our inner vibration affect our perception of the world around us? Yeah. So this is like really hits to um, what I've been studying a lot and actually in more recent times, really getting into the neuroscience of this. So I think uh, like our tempo of perception is, is what I've been calling it, is really the crux of, of what's happening here. So if, if somebody's tempo of perception is faster, for example, they're going to perceive time in smaller bits of information. Um, it's, it's very similar to how a camera works with exposure rate. When, the, when we have a longer exposure, more data, more information is coming in. And when it's shorter, it captures little bursts of information. So you can imagine that somebody with a, a faster or a higher tempo of um, perception, their time is becoming a little bit more compressed. And therefore, things seem to take longer in, in that relative nature of time to them. A great example would be somebody who's very anxious, who's waiting in line. It'll Five minutes could feel like 20 to them. And um, conversely, when we begin to actually learn how to slow down our tempo, which is um, more associated with the calm state, we are actually experiencing a longer moment of time, a longer duration of that present moment. So time doesn't seem to have as much um, pressure on us, if that makes any sense. Of course, I'm looking at this like, how can I develop a new mini superpower out of this knowledge? But do you think it's possible to actually read people's personalities based on their musical tastes upon first meeting? Uh, yeah. I mean, w when you begin to attune to tempo, um, you could read people through their, how they play music, how they speak, um, their movements, you know, even more subtle cues like, like blinking rate and various things like that. And, and I would like to preface, you know, you know, we're all, we all are at different tempos and, and there's not a, a judgment about one or the other. Um, but to note that we do seem to be living in a world that seems to be moving faster and faster. And I feel in a, for a lot of people, it's that tempo is tend to be pushed beyond a, a place of balance or internal harmony and create some level of dysregulation, which I think we're actually seeing with ADHD. So I, so I do want to just, you know, note that, that the various levels of tempo, one is not better than the other, but they offer different levels of function functionality according to where they're at, if that makes any sense. So speaking about people with ADD or ADHD, is there a way to use music to kind of balance them out? Yeah, absolutely. And this is really where um, the practical aspect of my work comes into play. 
especially using an instrument, because what happens is um, when our, when we're swept away in our tempo of perception, we really don't we really don't have a reference point to it. For example, somebody who um, is ADD, they're just in that vibration. They're just in that kind of space. So they really don't. It's hard for them to make an adjustment because that's where they are with music especially with an instrument such as guitar or lately I've been getting involved um, using this method with with ukulele, we can begin to basically find where that tempo is with the person and then using the sort of the laws of music, which is in this case would be rhythm, begin to gradually slow that down in a controlled way so that people actually are able to lower their, that vibration, for lack of a better word, um, through a sort of this sort of neurobiofeedback mechanism um, that is music. So what I'm hearing you say is that decade that I was on shit tons of Adderall, I should have just been listening to steady, slow tones of music. Great. Lesson learned. So aside from curing my ADD, okay, that's a slight exaggeration, but we're seeing how music can affect the tempo and the rhythm and the vibrations of our body because we are all just energy, right? So we are vibrations. So if it can regulate our internal vibrations or tempo, how can it help to regulate the group as a whole? Music is traced back to ancient civilization, even before language. And part of what music was able to do back then was to bring people together without the use of language. And as we all know, there's a lot of divide in our country right now, unfortunately. So is there a way that we can use music to connect people in modern times? Yeah, in a lot of ways, really. Um, you know, one aspect of music is definitely it's, it's an, a social engagement, which I think is really, really important. And I feel like... Um, if we explore sort of the, the the consciousness of music as it's guided humanity, it has had the effect of bringing people together, and that's been a very important thing for survival. You know, if we if we think back in the tribal days of, of humanity, um, tribes were very important for survival, and music was a way to basically um, organize the tribe, bring to bring people together before a written word. It was a great way for them to encode information, you know, uh, tell stories, kind of document things through songs. A concert, for example, um, you have a band playing and there's a certain rhythm that's playing and people are dancing and they're all experiencing um, the same rhythm. So basically people are being tuned together through that vibration, through that rhythm. And when people's um, when people find levels of entrainment where they're basically where the rhythms begin to match. And that could be through dancing or just even having that shared experience. I think something magical happens, like a space hole opens up. And this is hard to quantify scientifically, although you can at some level, because basically what happens when people listen to the same music, we have um, similar brainwave entrainment. And brainwaves are a big part of the sort of tempo of perception. As a musician or people playing music together, it's kind of that, but like times 100, where you are... Um, the act of playing music takes a fair amount of inner engagement, um, connecting into the sound, connecting into your body, allowing a note to be released into the world, listening to that note. And then if you're playing music with someone else, um, one of the things I learned in school in my, my jazz training was basically how to divide my listening 
so that I can listen to someone else equally as much as I'm listening to, my, to myself, if not more. So when music, when people come and play music together, they're developing deep, deep, deep listening skills. And as we know that, that listening is one of the primary foundations of communication. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day. And I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted. Like this is how it's always been. Those type of days used to last months. And now they're pretty few and far between. And they rarely last more than a few hours. But it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than. But if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed, because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so I'm really glad that we are talking about the differences between listening to music and actually playing music. So we've all heard that music makes us smarter, but there's a misconception about this. A lot of us think of the Mozart effect, which is some study 20 years ago that thought Mozart temporarily boosts cognitive function. So then the media and parents got crazy and wanted to get their kids into Harvard by listening to music. But that's not exactly how it works. Listening to music passively doesn't actually make you smarter, but actively studying music does. Among a slew of benefits, it helps you process sounds better. 
And this can be helpful in a lot of different areas, including paying attention to things when other noise is going on, following and remembering conversations or things that you've heard, and learning language accents. Mandarin Chinese is a great example of this because if you change a tone in a word, it changes the entire meaning from scold to horse to mother. But I mean, I guess the first and the last are kind of the same, depending on who your mom was. And if you're not already sold that music is the magical master of the universe, then hear this. According to Oliver Sacks, more of the brain is involved in perception and response to music than to language or anything else. That's pretty crazy. But it makes sense because when you think about it, music's an art form that we've been working on as a species for over a thousand years. So it would only make sense that our brains have kind of evolved to take in more of this or, or to be affected by more of this, I guess. And I think that a lot of people think, well, I'm 30 years old. I've never learned music. Can I even start now? Is there hope? Because you hear a lot more about child prodigies and people that have been playing the piano since they were little and things like that. But there is hope. Tons of people have learned an instrument in the middle of their life or even towards the end. But I know starting something as daunting as an instrument can be kind of intimidating, especially later on in life. But I have a book that I'm going to link to in the show notes that I've heard great reviews from. It's by a guy named James Rhodes. He is a best-selling writer and famous pianist. 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 I've never liked that word, even though I am one. Anyways, he has a book that claims to teach anyone to play a difficult piece of music in less than six weeks. Even with zero knowledge of music and having never touched a piano before. So there's that, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And I highly, highly encourage you to try to pick up an instrument, try to just learn something small, or even just use it for the sounds of the tones that we talked about earlier. Because when you start to develop your musical talent, it can be amazing, especially to get into flow state. If you're not familiar with flow state, don't worry, just subscribe to this podcast because I will be having a full episode devoted to this and I'll probably mention it a lot. But for those who don't know, in positive psychology, flow is also known as being in the zone. And you hear it most with uh, athletes and musicians, but it can happen with anybody. And if you ever go to a yogi style festival, especially, but any festival, you're almost guaranteed to come across somebody with flow toys or even a booth selling flow toys. And these can be either poi or staffs or wands. But there are these toys where you basically get them going like nunchucks. I don't really know how else to explain it. But it gets your mind into this flow where you don't really have to think. You can just go with the music. But basically flow is supposed to be the state of optimal experience. There's an entire book dedicated to flow, appropriately titled Flow, and I highly recommend it. I'm going to link to it in the show notes because the author is really hard to pronounce and the spelling is completely different than the pronunciation. It's Mihai Chiksent Mihai. Yep, but it doesn't look like it's spelled like that whatsoever. 
So go to the show notes for that. So being in flow is when you're performing an activity and you're fully immersed with an energized focus, a full involvement, and an actual enjoyment in the process of an activity. It's when you're completely absorbed in whatever you're doing. And the book gives a bunch of tidbits about exactly what flow is and how to get there and how to use it to improve your or increase your happiness levels. So back to the topic at hand, music is one of the best ways to get into flow state. Now back to Josh. Josh, tell me about the first time you experienced flow state or any sort of breakthroughs with music. It was my sophomore year in college. I went to Berkeley College of Music and um, I don't know, I just reached this place and you know, perhaps it's like it's that sophomore slump that, that we hear about, but I just, um, I didn't want to be there anymore. I, I loved music, but I was finding myself really frustrated like that, that that's what every, that's all that everybody talked about or did there. And I know that kind of sounds paradoxical. And especially if you know my story where in high school, I couldn't wait to get to college so I could just focus on music all the time. And then I got there and I basically was, um, really understanding that that music itself is only a part of the equation in that um, I, I began getting really interested in philosophy and, and meditation at that age. And I kind of understood how important life experience was for the musical process. And that if music is just sort of a means to an end within itself, it, it, it didn't quite get there for me. And I kind of, I started losing my passion and even finding myself like angry and um, I needed to get away for a weekend and I visited a friend in Maryland and um, I didn't bring a guitar and I probably, that was my first time without having a guitar in my hands for years. Um, but I just needed to not think about music or, you know, just kind of really clear my head. And um, there, was, there was this afternoon where he was studying all day. So I was just left alone in his dorm room and, and he had a guitar in the corner and something just called for me to pick it up. And, um, I picked it up and I just started playing and basically what transpired for the next six or seven hours straight was this, this like waterfall of music flowing through me. And it, it was an experience that I had never had until that point where basically I literally was just the observer and my body was moving on its own. Music was flowing through me. I, things were happening on the guitar that I never could have done up until that point before. I, I, it, it was like um, all, it, it literally felt like this, this like faucet of music was just opened and it was just completely free and flowing through me. And, um, and it felt like I was connecting in with, with, the, with the genius of music. Not, not that I was a genius in that moment, but that I was really connected to this transcendent nature of music. And that day um, made pretty much like the defining mark in my exploration of music. Um, one, realizing how much is possible if we just kind of find the inner alignment, how much it's not actually us. Um, I mean, we have to do the work to develop certain levels of technical facility and things like that. But the true nature of music is um, so transcendent. And that day basically, I would say, led me on this path to research and discover and explore and experiment with, with music to really try to find how to engage from that place all the time rather than sort of using my mind or using sort of, um, you know, the lower aspects of, of music. And this is the power of flow state. 
I remember the first time I felt like I got into flow and I was playing for hours, which is a lot for the attention span of a young child. But I used to use it when I would have a bad day or something bad would happen. You know, the things that little kids get upset over. I can remember one instance in particular when a popular kid named Nick, yes, I'm using his real first name, made fun of me for not being able to shave my legs yet. So I played the piano for like three hours. And it made me realize some things, like he wasn't that important and all I needed to do was steal my mom's razor. But it got me through. What are some of the ways that you personally use music to get through things or to alter your states of consciousness? You know, it, one of the things is is to, well, one, there's just like, the, I think there's an inherent creative joy just to pick up an instrument and see what happens. Um, and And I think there's sometimes like that is enough. And other times... I find myself, yeah, if I am going through a slump, you know, sometimes writing a song or or just kind of allowing some expression of that to come out has been really, really healing. Um, at, at a little bit more scientific level, I found, um, it, for example, if I am feeling like in a slumpy place and a little bit lethargic, if I work on music at a faster tempo, that can help engage myself out of that. So just kind of circling back to the tempo thing. Um, super like uh, out of balance, fast tempo is let's say anxiety and out of balance, slow tempo, we, we could look at as depression. So we're looking for that kind of sweet spot of in between. So, um, I, I have different practices that I've, I've kind of explored and, and have learned and have developed that really help, um, move the energy basically to a place that feels a little bit more in alignment with where I would like to be. With everything going on in our current events today and our president and all of the natural disasters around the world, how is connection with others even more important? And how can people maybe use music to deal with uh, all these walls going up? I know, these walls. Um, <laughs> obviously, we're going through some deep transitions, you know, at, at, at the global level. And we really don't know what, what is going to happen. There's a lot of people making up stories about it but we don't know. And if we react to the stories we're imagining, we're basically going further in that sort of habitual mechanism as we talked about before. So um, a, a really a, a proper music practice can give us the, the chance to have some equanimity within what seems to be going on or our perceptions and hold a little bit more center focus and calm within that. And I really feel like um, you know, like, I mean, obviously, you know, it's hard not to talk about the political climate these days, but one of the real striking things for me during um, the previous election was is just noticing how polarized, you know, people have become. Um, it's my side versus your side. I'm right. You're wrong. You're wrong. You know, it just because it's just turned into this like this deep split. And to me, that feels very mechanistic. If um, It feels very it feels very mechanical. And I feel like it can be very easy for people to get overwhelmed by that. So having a musical practice, having a musical experience, I really feel can give us some freedom from that overwhelm and perhaps be able to listen deeper. And I feel like in that deeper listening, um, we can basically start making the connections between the, the sides that are so split and hopefully work towards a greater harmony, basically. And that's a really good point. Because it seems like somewhere along the way, we've forgotten how to just shut the hell up. 
and just be and listen and hear. We have sounds coming at us from everywhere. Street noises, machine noises, phone alerts. So learning to listen is something worth cultivating. It's one of the reasons I was most excited to start this podcast because I'm a talker, if you can't tell, and and interviewing people is really teaching me to listen and to actively participate in listening. Of course, I'm the one that handles the editing, so I get to interject at any time, but <laughs> still. So after 30 minutes of learning that music is everything, where do we start? Speaking to someone with zero musical experience at all, how would they start to use music for mindfulness in their daily lives? One of the first things is, is no matter what instrument they're playing, uh, assuming an external instrument, for the voice becomes just a little bit more um, specific. But let's let's say guitar or ukulele or piano or something like this. Um, one of the first things to do is basically before you play a note, you want we'll use the guitar for example. Um, before you try to play a chord, it's good to feel the guitar to really feel the strings and and to do that with with both hands so that you become acquainted with the feeling of of, of the strings, the actual sensation of them on your body. And then um, beginning by playing one note, one and listening to that note as deeply as you can. It's one of my primary meditations that I work with with people. Uh, for guitar, it could be uh, like playing one string with full intention. So when you're playing the string, you are aware of every bit of the physicality that it takes to make the sound happen. And once the note happens, you want to listen to that note throughout the whole duration of the note, which is usually longer than people are used to. And in doing so, what you end up doing is actually elongating your attention. And then as the note drifts away, you want to actually listen to that really subtle place where the note kind of absorbs back into silence. So it, it, like a, a note basically comes from silence. There's silence, the note is born, and then the note basically dies, goes back into the silence. And, and we want to really pay attention to all three of those steps. Um, that's a really good primary mindfulness approach to music. We've covered a lot about music today and its benefits, whether you're a newbie or you've been playing your whole life. But I think the important message is that you should start. Just pick up an instrument and start somewhere. Because music isn't just pretty, it's passionate and it's fiery and it's transformative. Beethoven's Appassionata Sonata was written as he realized he was going deaf and was thinking about suicide. And in the process of writing that song, he decided to live. So definitely start somewhere. And lucky for our listeners, Josh has created some courses that are a great place to start out. And you can find those at joshbrill.com, which I'll link to in the show notes. Josh, tell us a little bit about your courses. I have a course that I developed called the Yoga of Guitar. And it is um, a course that's specifically made for anyone, whether they have no guitar experience or musical experience, up to somebody who's advanced, um, to give them this um, experience of really how to explore music as a meditation, as a mindfulness practice. I'm currently in production of the same concept, but using ukulele as an instrument, which I find to be really fabulous because the ukulele is so accessible and, it, and it's fun. It has a really beautiful tone to it. Well, on that note, 
Musical pun intended. <laughs> Let's cue up the music. You can find all of the links mentioned in this episode in our show notes at mindlove.com slash 005. A lot of work goes into this show, so if I could ask one favor, please hit subscribe. It really, really helps with the growth of my podcast. We also have a great Facebook group that keeps you in the conversation and also has some freebies here and there. So go to mindlove.com slash FB group. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.